This is Questions of Courage, a podcast from the youth section at the Goetheanum, hosted by Nathaniel Williams. Welcome to Questions of Courage. Today I'd like to speak about some of the peculiar developments of our time that are influencing countless young people as they come of age. And I'd like to focus on it from the perspective of young people who are striving spiritually. And of course, that has a very general sound to it, but um, we'll get more specific as we go through this episode. And I'd like to focus on two major developments that I think could be characterized in one way, from one perspective, as a kind of intensification of contraction on the one side of urgency and um, pressure, and on the other side, a kind of expansion, um, dissolution in a way, but also a kind of liberation. And these two movements are familiar to everyone. You may already be thinking about what I'm talking, what I'm, what I mean to talk about today. Um, and they were aptly described in the opening of Ready Player One, the, the book from Ernest Cline that became a movie that's quite well known. And I'd like to start by sharing selections from the opening of that book. Main character is introducing uh, his story and the situation, and one of the things that he says he really wish were, wishes were the case or that someone had just been honest with him about the situation that he was born into. And first of all, talking about fairy tales and in relationship to religion and spirituality. You may have heard of the, a super powerful dude named God who lives up in the sky. The whole God thing's actually an ancient fairy tale The people have been telling one another for thousands of years. We made it all up, like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. A little later, talking about how he came to understand the development of civilization, he writes, After fighting a bunch of wars with each other over land, resources, and our made-up gods, we eventually got all our tribes organized into a global civilization. But honestly, it wasn't that organized or civilized, and we continued to fight a lot of wars with each other. But we also figured out how to do science, which helped us develop technology. For a bunch of hairless apes, we've actually managed to invent some pretty incredible things. Computers, medicine, lasers, microwave ovens, artificial hearts, atomic bombs, he goes on, but that's where the bad news comes in. Our global civilization came at a huge cost. We needed a whole bunch of energy to build it. And we got that energy by burning fossil fuels, which came from dead plants and animals buried deep in the ground. We used up most of this fuel before you got here. And now it's pretty much all gone. And a little later, it turns out that burning all those fossil fuels had some nasty side effects, like raising the temperature of our planet and screwing up the environment. So now the polar ice caps are melting, sea levels are rising, and the weather's all messed up. Plants and animals are dying off in record numbers, 
and lots of people are starving and homeless, and we're still fighting wars with each other, mostly over the few resources we have left. To be honest, the future doesn't look too bright. You were born at a pretty crappy time in history, and it looks like things are only going to get worse from here on out. And just a little further on, he says, Maybe it isn't a good idea to tell a newly arrived human being that he's been born into a world of chaos, pain, and poverty, just in time to watch everything fall to pieces. Luckily, I had access to the Oasis, which was like having an escape hatch into a better reality. The Oasis kept me sane. It was my playground and my preschool, a magical place where anything was possible. So here we have described these two gestures in this book from Ernest Klein. One, a gesture of contraction, which is related to not only the climate crisis, but ecological crisis in general, growth of population on a finite planet, and the finitude of all resources on the planet. And um, this feeling of kind of pressure and contraction in a kind of despirited or unspirited world that is um, headed towards increasing strife and catastrophe. And uh, I think he brings this imagination, which I think a lot of young people are living with um, all over the world today, uh, not only young people, of course. And then on the other hand, he introduces the Oasis. And the Oasis, I'm not going to read much more about it, but we, it's comparable to the internet, virtual reality. And this, this possibility that has emerged through the digital revolution of a certain type of expansion, a kind of liberation, a kind of freeing oneself from all of the pressure around being a, a, a creature on the earth and collective situation where we need to work together and also deal with real pressing issues. And it's a kind of release valve for him where he also finds a possibility to develop himself. And this is, of course, uh, one way that the digital revolution is, is a, we can understand it this way, which is, is a, there's an unbelievable um, ability to connect all over the world. Um, at this point, technology has reached remarkable affordability and many of uh, the limitations that uh, a generation 50 years ago might have uh, come of age with are gone in certain ways for young people who are growing up with uh, digital technology. And so it's interesting because also these two dynamics are kind of working against one another. I mean, when you, we think about the capacity to form a judgment about the value of a glass of clean water or, or even of a, a pile of firewood or um, a certain bowl of grain that we might be eating for breakfast and our porridge. Um, how much judgment do we have in understanding the value of those foundational parts of our lives uh, today when we spend a lot of time in a kind of pseudo-virtual world where those kind of limitations are not schooled in us? 
And, um, and so in a way also this judgment doesn't, of, of just being on the earth and being able to judge relative values of things, how much, uh, you know, even how much one might pay for something like a quart of firewood in, in a certain area around the earth. Um, those kind of things are certainly not to be taken um, for granted today that we can make that kind of a judgment. And so we can see that there, there's a huge tension that young people are growing up in because there's this, there's this pressure around issues and not only ecological issues, but we also have to look at the whole questions around social justice, which also come in um, in Ernest Klein's uh, book when he refers to homelessness and war and strife. And um, all of that also is something that we would eventually have to have some capacities in statecraft, uh, working together in groups and organizations. These are things that are necessary for life on earth. And, and we're at a point where they are going to be even more and more necessary. And at the same time, we've developed a technology which kind of offers an ability for us to expand our consciousness, but in a way that doesn't clearly dovetail with developing our judgment on the earth. So there's kind of movements going in two different directions. And this is an uncomfortable place to be, I think. Um, and it, for young people who value and care about the future of the planet and the future, about social, future of social relationships on the planet. And this is where also uh, I think it's possible to make, you know, Another observation about the digital revolution, which I already did in a previous episode, which focuses on um, some of the nuances of the kind of connectivity that it offers to us. Because in a way, uh, you know, it's almost trite to say we're more connected than we ever were before. And yet, um, as is being shown also, there's a huge possibility and even tendency for the through the use of digital technology to isolate ourselves. Now I'm thinking mostly about the internet and um, social media sites, but also video gaming and um, even just YouTube or Netflix, uh, video streaming platforms. Um, these, this kind of array of offerings, you know, in one way it totally expands our, our, the, the horizon where we can, we can expand our consciousness, but in another way, it's a kind of connection that only goes to a certain depth, usually. And it can have the effect that also, uh, which I've just indicated, when we, when we unplug and we, we just come back to normal day-to-day -day life, that we don't feel um, necessarily really connected or able to connect with it. Maybe even some of our abilities to judge have gotten weakened or haven't been exercised enough, so we don't feel as sensitive to the surroundings that we're in, the people that we're in. This is one of the, the observations that Sherry Turkle ends her study alone together with. Um, when she, she, she describes how a lot of the young people who were, you know, some of the first to really interact a lot with, with digital technology how they, they kind of felt it was just too demanding than to interact with people in real space, and they preferred to actually have mediated digital exchanges. 
They didn't really have the need or the inclination to spend real time together and, and without uh, uh, devices or without digital mediation of their communication. And she uh, also anecdotally shares that many psychotherapists and psychiatrists and psychologists and also social workers just made observations um, that back this up in a peculiar way, that they would say that a number of their patients, this is a quote, who present in the consulting room um, present as detached from their bodies and seem close to unaware of the most basic courtesies. Purpose-driven, plugged into their media, these patients pay little attention to those around them. In others, they seek what is of use, an echo of that primitive world of parts. Their detachment is not aggressive. It is as though they just don't see the point. And I think we could all relate to this um, just through, uh, because almost everyone, of course, is participating in these experiences. But how, when, when you spend a lot of time online, uh, you can develop this kind of an attitude where you, you, you don't really have to be bothered and to interact with people. And um, you experience a certain kind of freedom through that, but also a kind of isolation, which is necessary for it. And that can then easily bleed over or just carry over into our daily life and kind of determine it in the way that Sherry Turkle describes here. There's another level of this um, tendency to isolate, though, which is, is, is important to lift into consciousness. And I think that it is possible to observe this through basic introspection, just basic self-observation and, and on ourselves, but it's also possible to try to approach it with a more schooled inner um, observation. Uh, in episode four, I speak about uh, contemplative knowledge practices that can lead in that direction. And what happens when we try to observe what is the effect of the medium of digital technology on our constitution? Contrary to what we might first think, it's possible to observe, and this of course is shared in the spirit of that it, would need, it could be checked by other people who are interested and willing to try to make these observations, but there's a, there's a certain weakening of a, a spiritual dynamic that makes up part of our everyday life um, from perceiving one another to perceiving our environment to having feelings and also memories, um, which is just a, a kind of intangible, intangible part of who we are, which is weakened um, in a way. And I don't want to say that in, uh, to demonize technology. It's, it's certainly not um, of interest to me. Just like anything, you, you, take, you have to look from the whole perspective in order to make a value judgment. And I would like to say, if we're learning to ride a bike, part of riding a bike is falling down. And there you can hurt yourself, but it's part of learning how to find a right balance with, um, with the bicycle. And I think in a similar way, technology right now, um, it's important to try to understand it in its wholeness and its relationship to human life and experience. And then hopefully to be able to come into right relationship with it. Right now, I think we are in a kind of uh, process of a lot of falling down, which makes sense because it is a very new development. But 
one of the things that um, comes out of this, just simple introspection, basic sociological research, and also um, kind of contemplative inquiry, is that this, this technology, which we think of as a kind of expanding our consciousness and leading us out beyond the normal bounds of existence, which it certainly does, um, at the same time, it actually has the paradoxical effect that it isolates us and in a way weakens our ability to connect, which there's a kind of contradictory character in the whole situation. Okay, but this isn't the only place where really radical um, opportunities for the expansions of consciousness are unfolding today. And at this point, it's interesting to consider that um, in Silicon Valley, where uh, we have the kind of heart of the digital technological revolution in uh, the last half century, there's another kind of consciousness expanding um, opportunity which uh, is emerging and now emerging again quite strongly. And that's the use of psychedelic substances. Now, this is really interesting because it, it's interesting to read in the news or also in uh, tech magazines that it's in Silicon Valley that we find also a lot of interest in not only technology but also uh, psychedelics and that they're being brought together in a way. Um, and this is very interesting to consider because, you know, the, the kind of digital virtual reality isn't necessarily a great experience for people and it often doesn't uh, fill them with vitality and enthusiasm. But this is quite different from the experiences that many people have when they take psychedelic drugs. And um, I'd like to just characterize this. I mean, if we, if we look at kind of digital imagery and the digital horizon of expansion that we can enter through technology, in, while it offers a huge possibility for expansion, it also has a kind of drying out and isolating effect on one level, um, which leads to a quite dissatisfied experience for those um, who might want to spend a lot of time in virtual reality, for instance. The experience of taking psychedelic drugs, on the other hand, is exactly, uh, runs in exactly the other direction. Now, of course, how people experience those things are widely different, but I'd like to focus on some of the more powerful um, possibilities. And I'm just going to actually read a quote from the popular book about the subject and the kind of renaissance in psychedelic research, which is going on right now, that Michael Pollan wrote um, called How to Change Your Mind. And in it, he talks about how powerful these images are. He didn't understand why the experiences that many people have on drugs leave such a powerful impression and why people didn't just write them off as a dream or as some kind of uh, flimsy uh, drug-induced hallucination. Quote, I didn't understand why you wouldn't simply file it under interesting dream or drug-induced fantasy. And then he goes on to write how it had a feeling of ineffability. William James, quote, gave a name to this conviction 
the noetic quality. And this conviction was that you had come into contact with some profound objective truth. So psychedelic experiences can, they don't always, but they can have, in a way, a, just a, a totally opposite effect than experiences that we had have of di digital images, which is that they, they're almost filled with being itself and their power is utterly convincing and also the reality that, that they feel like they're communicating. Now, it is, of course, clear that in the future, um, there's going to be more and more interest in experimenting with bringing together um, the possibility to expand consciousness through psychedelics and the possibility to expand consciousness through uh, digital technology. And in a way, they complement one another. Um, uh, maybe uh, digital technology can give a huge architecture for, for uh, consciousness, but somehow it doesn't provide uh, the right tone of life. But maybe through the use of psychedelics, uh, some kind of um, complementary movement can be brought in. But it's not only psychedelics which is uh, being considered in this way, but even a kind of direct... Um, influence of the brain. It could be through irradiating certain regions of the brain with um, uh, different frequencies or even electrical pulses. Um, there are many ways that we might, you know, affect the physical body and then combine that with kind of technology in order to uh, kind of intensify and um, uh, amplify the power of um, digital, uh, virtual reality possibilities. But, you know, I think it's interesting to step back here. I mean, if we have uh, young people growing up and, and, and they, they kind of experience, uh, they're walking a line between uh, kind of this highly pressurized, urgent, ecological, social reality on the one hand, and on the other hand, this possibility to expand one's consciousness through technology, but also through uh, either taking physical substances or directly influencing the physical body, if it's the nervous system, for instance, in order to expand one's consciousness. Um, and this is a very dramatic double movement. And one of the obvious moving and dramatic parts of this is that a young spiritually striving person, as we see in the youth movements right now, which are highly focused actually on collective issues related to climate change, ecological crisis, economic justice, and also social justice, where the heart of many young people and their actions are, are really to reform and to make an impact, a positive impact on the future of the world. They have the values of our collective life on the earth at heart. This is what they care about. 
And yet, on the one side, it can be paralyzing to feel this pressure and urgency of the situation and to have so much awareness of it through the constant, what's sometimes called the 24-hour news cycle. And also the effects, uh, the kind of isolating effects of the digital revolution. And on the other side, this almost escapist uh, attraction of expanding consciousness, but in such a way that it, it kind of, it seems to weaken our ability to make uh, terrestrial, earthly, valid, sober judgments. And this kind of tension, this dramatic tension of a kind of disillusion and a, a contraction it is very moving to see young people trying to work towards uh, earthly values for the good and collective issues. Collective issues certainly have to do with our collective sharing of the earth, and they certainly have to do with um, the social organization of our life together in civil society, but also in states of all different kinds. The drama is palpable, and if we then ask, what is a, a, a challenge that grows out of this situation for young people with spiritual interests? And this challenge, I think, could be articulated as such. Can we find ways to expand our consciousness in such a way that it does not weaken and it does not undermine our ability to make judgments, sober judgments and realistic judgments in our normal everyday life on the earth? Can we find that kind of a spirituality in self-development, which doesn't tends, tend towards any kind of escapism and which we can integrate into our understanding of the world? Ideally, it would even strengthen our ability to make judgments on, uh, in normal life. There's another side to that, however, which is to find a spirituality where the feeling of pressure and fate and absolute determinacy of the future, which I think a lot of young people feel as a kind of paralyzing effect, where everything is governed by kind of iron laws of nature and there's not a possibility actually to, to um, make a positive change through our actions and our intentions or a spiritual dimension of the universe and of the world. And I think this is the other side of the spiritual challenge, which is to try to expand how we understand nature, how we understand the human being, and even society, so that we can start to be sensitive to the fact that there are spiritual dimensions at play here as well, and that these spiritual dimensions can inspire us with some real powers of hope and of courage and motivation for working together. So, the dynamic that young people are growing up in today between contraction and expansion 
is begging a question. It's begging the question if a spirituality can be developed where we can expand our consciousness, but in such a way that we don't weaken our ability to make normal judgments and to work effectively in the world we share. And on the other hand, that we can start to look out at the world and, and life that we participate in and start to notice that there's more there than we have assumed before. This is a tall order, but it is certainly one reason why young people might be interested in exploring anthroposophy. And I offer it in that spirit. This is a project which is a collaboration with the Goethe Anam TV and the communications team here at the Goethe Anam. And one of the goals of this project is of course to make contributions to conversation around the spiritual striving of young people today. But it's also to try to build a cosmopolitan youth access and project fund. And if you make a contribution, we every contribution helps and goes a long way. Um, it will go towards supporting scholarships and also projects of young people who are connected to the youth section around the world. There's a global network of youth groups and projects, and um, we certainly need the support. And you can count on most of the support going towards uh, youth work. The production costs of Questions of Courage are quite low. Thank you for joining us.